Welcome to the Bulwark Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. It is Friday and the news cycle pattern is absolutely full. We will get to a Ukraine in a moment. But of course, this morning, as I'm beginning the podcast, we find out that President Biden has just named appeals court judge Katanji Brown Jackson to the Supreme Court. Interestingly enough, Lindsey Graham, who voted to confirm her to the appeals court, is already out with a tweet saying this is a sign that uh, the far left has taken over Joe Biden. So, no, this is uh, this is not going to be any sort of a reversion to the era in which highly qualified judges got 90 plus votes for confirmation. So we're not going to be spending a great deal of time talking about that. Meanwhile, Russian forces are entering Kiev, but I constantly want to remind you that the fog of war makes any sort of definitive assessments of the state of play very, very risky. I do think it's clear, several things though, we are seeing mass casualties, including civilian casualties. There does appear to be significant resistance to the Russian forces. And I think over the next 24, 48 hours, the full brutality of Vladimir Putin's savvy genius, to use the former guy's term, will be on display for all the world to see, and it will be ugly. The other uh, development, which we talked about on our live stream last night, which I think is quite extraordinary, are the anti-war protests that have broken out in Russia. And they are very, very large. And I don't know that I can stress strongly enough how much courage it takes for these folks to go out into the streets and protest. Because Vladimir Putin's uh, Russia is not, you know, let's say that they are not obsessed about civil liberties. They do not have a First Amendment. uh, And they are known for their brutal treatment of protesters. And yet they are doing this. So Perhaps there's a little bit of inspiration to be drawn from all of this, and perhaps it will be contagious. So joining me on the podcast today, and I think we've talked before, uh, so I want to say hello to uh, Heath Mayo, who is the uh, the founder and the great guru of Principles First, which is having a big conference in Washington, D.C. this week. So welcome back, Heath. Thanks, Charlie. Thanks for having me. It's always it's always a pleasure to sit and, and, and chat with you. Well, I'm uh, after I get done with this podcast, uh, because I'm in Wisconsin, I will do what Wisconsinites do. I will go outside and I will snowblow my driveway and then drive to the airport to fly to D.C. for your conference. <laughs> Just cool. so you know. But the snowblowing comes first. It will come first. <laughs> Hopefully you can get out and, and burrow out and get here safely. So safe travels as you get this way. Well, for people who aren't familiar about it, you know, if, if you live in Wisconsin, you have to have a snowblower and you have to have a... You, hey, I have a big snowblower and I really don't mind it that much. It's it's kind of satisfying that when you when you do the the driveway, it's a finite job, unlike almost everything else we do. When it's done, it's done. Now it may snow again, but at least you have that satisfaction. Okay, so Heath, I want to talk to you about this principles first conference and and what those principles are. Obviously, uh we're seeing some rather dramatic, shall we say, counter-programming. CPAC is meeting down in Florida turning out to be the clown car on fire that you would have expected. So you are, I mean, let me just ask you this. I mean, were you, were you consciously trying to counter program the sort of the crazified version of conservatism at CPAC? I, I think so. Right. I mean, I think CPAC to me is sort of the embodiment of the degradation and the decline of the intellectual part of the conservative movement. You know, CPAC used to be the place where, conservatives, libertarians, sort of every one right of center would get together and t- talk about what it is we believed. 
the things that we were committed to and the principles that defined what we were doing in our politics. It wasn't about putting on a jersey. It was about figuring out what does a balanced budget look like? What should our foreign policy be? Those types of questions were at the center of the discussion, and they're just not anymore. I mean, you got Papa John's pizza guy, you got golden statues rolling through the halls. Now you've got Tulsi Gabbard talking about Putin's justifications for invading Ukraine. I mean, it is, it's a hodgepodge of craziness. Um, and I think it started out as that, as a counter-programming, but now I think it's actually, you know, what we're seeing in Eastern Europe and even here in the United States. I mean, it's become sort of a more important moment, I think, in terms of standing for ideas and principles, because those are the things that inspire, that start movements, that make people do things and push forward. And, and that's what, you know, that's what I'm hoping that we do this this weekend is, yes, draw a contrast, but also take a stand for key principles and ideas like freedom that have really defined the country and the conservative movement in the past. I want to talk about those principles in, in a moment, but let's stick with CPAC. And you know, CPAC has always been a mixed bag in the past. I, I think, you know, years ago it was described as the Star Wars bar scene of the conservative movement. But you're right. Yes, you know, alongside the sort of circus elements, the eccentric elements, serious people used to show up and talk about serious things at CPAC. Uh, we would have uh, elected officials talk about policy. Uh, and, I, and I do think that what's happened to CPAC is it, it's not just Trumpified. It, it really has become post, uh, post-policy, post-ideas. And and post serious. Let me just play a little soundbite from from Ted Cruz. Keeping in mind that I am old enough to remember when Ted Cruz was actually considered a serious conservative. This is how he opened his remarks yesterday at CPAC. What an amazing sight! Thousands of patriots, and not a damn mask in sight. What a, it, you know, there, there's a, there's like a grown up gap on the right, isn't it? it? My colleague Jim Swift has a meme on Twitter that Ted Cruz doesn't want to be a senator anymore. It, there, there is this grown up gap where these folks just don't even pretend to be serious legislators or thinkers anymore. I mean, that's right. And it, and it echoes actually. It's funny that you play a clip of Ted Cruz there. I think it was last week that his former boss, you know, conservative heavyweight Judge Luddig, yeah, you know, came out and sort of just excoriated the conservative movement in the Republican Party for exactly what you're talking about. It's just a leadership deficit. There's a leadership deficit and there's an ideas deficit. You know, all that these people seem to be able to do these days is to stand up and talk about the meme du jour, whether it's masks or whatever it is, rather than the concrete things that they used to that they stand for. I mean, it used to be Ted Cruz would get on the stage and recite elements of the Constitution, and and long long gone are those days. I don't yeah. know the last time I've heard Ted Cruz utter any piece of the Constitution in a speech. I mean, it was performative back then, but at least it was a at least a gesture towards some sort of a substance. By the way, this obsession with the masks. Uh, the, the fact that they're bringing on, uh, you know, COVID denialists and just crackpots, the people who have been sanctioned for disinformation really does tell you something. So it's more than just, I, I think sort of the easy take is that it's become a cult of personality. 
you know, for Donald Trump. And, you know, yeah, there are the golden statues. And it's very clear that if you're not a Trump anointed candidate, no matter how conservative you are, you're not going to get a, a speaking position at CPAC. But beyond Trump, I mean, there there is this uh, there's there's something else, too. I mean, it, it, it has become kind of the knee jerk meme narrative, trigger the libs, uh, you know, call each other names, uh, engage in conspiracy theories. And and, you know, that's metastasized far beyond just kissing Trump's rear end. Right. Yes, I think that's exactly right. I think it's bigger than that. And I think that is really what will end up, you know, if there is hope out there, I think people are kind of getting frustrated, at least with the mockery of it, with the mockery of I mean, it, it's just, it's too easy to look at and say, what is it that these guys even believe in? I mean, I don't even know what I'm clapping for when I go to a speech like that. What is the substance of that political movement? We don't know. I mean, the GOP that in 2020, I think even in maybe multiple years, hasn't even passed a platform. Yeah. I mean, I don't, it isn't, we don't know what the party believes in, what it stands for. Uh, and that's a problem in a country where the whole point is to persuade Americans about a direction that the country should go. And so that's it's a problem. What are you clapping for? It's sort of like, I'm not wearing any damn masks. It's <laughs> I'm clapping because I'm 12 years old and somebody's saying, you're not the boss of me. Or you're clapping because you want to make a hero out of the... Uh, the asshole on the plane who uh, you, you can't take off because he won't wear a mask or whatever. The other theme that's big at, down at CPAC right now is, you know, just full on, full frontal embrace, not just of the big lie about the election, but of the revisionist history of January 6th and the insurrection. So here is Josh Hawley, senator from Missouri. Who, again, remember, wasn't that long ago, was writing serious papers because he wanted to be thought of as a serious thinker, rethinking conservative values. And here he is at CPAC opening up by playing the, you know, I am a victim standing tall and uh, actually touting his vote to overturn the election. Here's Josh Hawley. They were trying to censor us, silence us, cancel us, muzzle us. In fact, they had just told me that because I stood up and objected on January 6th that I ought to be run out of the United States Senate. I've got news for you. I wasn't backing down then. I haven't changed my mind now. Election integrity matters. Standing up for the rule of law matters. And our stand on that day in sense is key. Wow. Okay. So he's a lot going on there. Standing up for the rule of law by giving the fist salute to the insurrectionists. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I can't square it in my head. I don't, it doesn't compute for me, Charlie. I mean, these, it's just a repositioning. They're always repositioning. It, there's no way to square no. concepts like the rule of law, of justice with what we saw on January 6th. I mean, cops injured just being, the building was ransacked. I mean, it, it was it was absurd. And, and, and at the summit this weekend, I'm, we're, we're honored to have one of the Capitol Police officers, Harry Dunn, yeah. be there accepting a Profiling Courage Award on behalf of the entire group. We're, we're just Very cool. thrilled to, to have him there. But it's just sad, really. I mean, I don't know what to say other than to say that. I mean, to have the applause line, the red meat applause line in a speech like that 
at a gathering that is supposed to represent conservatism, which, by the way, I mean, Matt Schlapp, I guess a week ago, came out and said, you know, we're not conservatives anymore. We're not. We're not. Yeah. Don't, don't get that us confused good. with those crazy conservative people. We're we're not we're not conservatives. We're, we're something else. And well, that's clear to everyone. And so it's just sad to see what what has happened and, and, and what is going on. And, and you know, it, it takes leaders to stand up, leaders like Adam and Liz and others who will be standing up in, at the conference. Yeah. You, yes, they, who are speaking at the conference and the summit, people who have taken those stands to say, you know, enough is enough. This isn't we're not we're not going along with this. We're not we're not going to just keep saying the applause lines or whatever the, the latest thing is. We're going to start taking a stand for what we believe in, what we know to be true. And, you know, if we're not ahead in the polls, so what? This isn't about this isn't about leading the polls. This isn't about winning a primary. This is about making known what is true. And then if you agree, fine. But my conscience, my integrity doesn't allow me to do anything else. So let's talk about what's what's going on with Russia and Ukraine, because at the moment, there is a tremendous gap between what elected Republican officials are saying about Vladimir Putin's aggression and what the former guy and the entertainment wing of the party are saying. So, you know, one after another, including Hawley, people like uh, Marco Rubio and believe it or not, even Ron Johnson issuing statements condemning Putin, saying that we need to take a strong line. And of course, you know, rather significant uh, gap between that and, you know, Trump calling into Laura Ingram or calling into the Clay and Buck show and saying what a genius and a, you know, savvy statesman, uh, how smart it was for Putin to seize Ukraine. So, I mean, there's real dissonance. And then, of course, you get people like Steve Bannon, who is out there. And just yesterday, denied telling his millions of, of listeners that yeah we shouldn't really care about ukraine it's not a real country let's listen to steve bannon ukraine's not even a country it's kind of a concept it's not even a country so when we talk about sovereignty and self-determination it's just a corrupt area where the clintons have turned into a colony where you can steal money out of okay well, you know where do you start with that it's a, see here's my my question is this a real gap I mean, is it, you know, is, is this one of the, okay, this is it. This is the big one we've been waiting for. Uh, clearly, Trump and the entertainment wing of the Republican Party are isolated. They speak for a very small number of Republican votes. Give me your sense of, of where we're at here and whether or not this is a moment where Donald Trump is decisively and dangerously out of step with his party. Well, you know, I've, I've learned over the last four years to never say this is it. But what I think is important about the choice that confronts conservatives, Republicans, you know, anyone right of center, is that this whole idea that was allowed to slip into our, our consciousness over the last couple of years of nothing else really matters. All that matters yeah. is here and the now and the America. It's a very selfish view of the country of like, you know, America first is a good label. Yes, it sounds good. And of course, we always want to put the country first. But it's more than that. It's become this selfish interest. It's we're, we're very focused on ourself and sort of, you know, nobody else can come in here. It's just us. And, you know, we got to make sure that we're OK. And why would we go and fight for something abroad? Because that doesn't make any sense. Those Ukrainians don't speak English. You know, they're they're way over there. Why does that matter? I think that falls apart pretty quickly when a tyrant like Putin amasses 100,000 troops on a border and disrupts the post-World War II order. Yeah. Right? I mean, I mean, that is – you really got to know what you believe in when 
stuff starts hitting the fan like that and you're staring down a tyrant, you can't just say MAGA and call it a day, right? You got to have an idea about what you're willing to defend, what it is you believe in and when you're going to stand up and when you're not, because if the idea is that nothing else matters, Putin's just going to keep marching across Europe because no one's going to stand up to him. Well, and also I think that the pictures are, are horrific, um, and I think we're going to see more of those pictures, particularly you know, civilian casualties amount, and the juxtaposition of uh, you know Trump's praise with that. I'm also seeing a, at least a change in tone of some of the MAGA folks. Uh, even Candace Owens is saying, you know, was, who was saying you should read Vladimir Putin's speech, you know, because we are to blame. And now she's saying. Boy, I don't know. It's possible that he was lying to us. Really, Candace? Uh, uh, even Tucker Carlson backing down a little bit. But I have to tell you, I, I'm, I'm, and maybe it's because I suffer from PTSD or maybe because I'm just too deeply cynical. You'll have to be the optimist on the, on the podcast today, Heath. This feels like January 7th to me, where there is like, okay, everyone's breaking. You're seeing how horrible this is, what uh, you know, Trump's praise for Vladimir Putin's uh, evil. But If the past is any indication at all, uh, we have to remind ourselves that the entertainment wing of the party is dominant, has been dominant, will continue to be dominant. They are firmly aligned with with Donald Trump. This is a party that has abandoned principle over and over and over again. One of the essences of Trumpism is a deeply held isolationism. There's very little appetite among Republicans for the kind of Ronald Reagan, shining city on a hill, tear down that wall kind of foreign policy. So my guess is that there's going to be this period where it looks like the Republicans might be rekindling some of their old principles, but I wouldn't bet too heavily on it. I think the struggle is going to be uh, intense. And I think the people like Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger are going to continue to be outliers in the party. But I may be just too cynical. Well, that's why I would encourage folks not to read the tea leaves. <laughs> They're never encouraging and you probably are never going to like what you see. But yeah. what does need to happen, and, and that's why the people that are at the summit this weekend, the people who you know sympathize with the cause are wanting a new direction, don't worry about the polls for now. Just get, put your head down, believe in what you believe, and take a stand for it. Have the courage to take a stand and that courage will beget other courage. I mean, it can't be about the polls right. or you'll never take a stand. I mean, it was, you know, great political movements just don't start that way. They don't start ahead. If, you, if you're looking to win the first election, you'll never sort of make the change that you want to see. So that's the mindset that the, you know, principles first movement, everyone in this space who is is hungry for change and a different direction for the party or whatever it is that you want to see. It can't be about, you know, the, the poll result. It OK, has to be about- so let's 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 talk about this. Let's talk about this, uh, this conference, which is getting a lot of attention, I think, because it's gotten so big. I mean, I it feels like it was just a few years ago that you were having the just a sort of, you know, you know, meet and greets, uh, gatherings of people who were in the political wilderness. And, and it seems to have grown, which is sort of counterintuitive because we're told that that if you're not on board of, you know, the, the magnification of the conservative movement, that, that you're just irrelevant and you can have this big conference. But let's talk about the principles, because I think a lot of people are wondering, OK, what are conservative principles and what makes them conservative? So I'm looking at your preamble and you wrote them down, what these principles are. So, and you wrote. I assume you wrote this. 
For some time now, the conservative movement has been in the throes of an, an identity crisis. Fealty to party and politicians has completely obscured the values that give substance to our public associations. Today in America, who you support has become more important than what you believe. And then here's the key sentence. As a result, the terms conservative and Republican are now mere team names that have lost all meaning. And I agree with that. So what does the term to you, what does the term conservative mean? As I'm asked about this, are you still a conservative? And my answer is, and it's not, and it's not, a, I'm not trying to dodge it. It's like, I just don't know what that means anymore. So what does it mean to you? Yeah. I mean, no, it's a good question. To me, it is conserving the liberal principles that inspired the founding that we're all created equal, that we're all accountable to the law and the constitution, that those institutions are actually good. It's, it's easier to lose those institutions and, and, you know, nothing is inevitable about our success and that it's, it's actually important to conserve the things that got us here and not to let them erode because, you know, I mean, you look around, <laughs> things seem to be eroding pretty quickly when we aren't vigilant and we don't stand for those types of things. So the conserve part of conservative means conserving the aspects of the founding that really animated, you know, freedom of conscience, the, the ability to respect difference and broker difference within the country and move us forward together. The idea that we all have a voice in our government, that even if we lose an election, we're not going to revolt and try to change the outcome by force. You know, pretty simple things that, that we're, we're struggling to conserve these days. Well, so that's what it means I, to me. I, I, I imagine that there are a number of, of our left of center listeners who are listening to you going, okay, that's me. Why is that conservative? You're describing values that I hold. What makes them conservative? So let me just push on this. I want to go through your, your enumerated list, which I think is very well done. I want to make it clear, very well done. Number one, our principles. Integrity, character, and virtue matter. M remember when, when character mattered, Republicans, okay. <laughs> Number two, every person has dignity, quality, and worth. Three. Truth, honesty, rationality, and facts are non-negotiable. Four, the Constitution and the rule of law are paramount. Five, our government is a limited one with enumerated powers. Six, Congress writes laws, the executive executes the laws, the courts interpret the laws. Seven, government closest to the people is most accountable. Eight, people reach their full potential when they are free. Number nine, Free and functioning markets deliver prosperity. 10, equality of opportunity, not equality of outcomes. 11, government must responsibly steward resources for the next generation. 12, civic associations, faith communities, and families should be the primary engines of our culture, not the state. 13, strong families are the building blocks of society. 14, Sovereignty is critical to self-government. And 15, America's role in the world is unique and important. Now, I, I do hear a lot of traditional conservative values being echoed there, but a lot of that I'm looking at is, is there anything distinctively conservative about that? Or are we at a point now where we sort of have to rethink some of those categories of conservative and liberal? I mean, it's it's not like you're not proposing restoring sort of Reagan era politics, are you? It feels like you are reconceptualizing some of these values that may not be exclusively conservative. Correct. I mean, I think that is really well put about, you know, what the project and the aim is here. 
you know, people ascribe labels to things all the time, but, you know, the, the ideas and the principles are the ideas. And, you know, we're in a new era, right? I mean, we got, we got, I mean, one of the panels this weekend is on technology and innovation and progress and platform regulation. I mean, there are new challenges that we face and, you know, it's not 1980s anymore in many ways. And so what I'm hoping to say is like, look, these are, these are core beliefs. These are the core principles. Let's get together and figure out how to apply them to the challenges we face now. It's not going to look like Reaganism because the world is not as it was when Ronald Reagan was the president. I hate that people use that as a pejorative. I don't mind being associated with Ronald Reagan. He was a guy that led with ideas like we're proposing to do here. But yeah, you know, to the extent that left of center folks, right of center folks, even Trump supporters. I mean, I, I got, you know, if you're a Trump supporter and you listen to those principles and you say, gee, I, nothing to disagree with there, come to the summit. You know, just just come hear us out, right, and see what you think, because it's a different conversation than has been going on in the party the last couple of years. Well, you know, part of this conversation is that, and 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 people come to different conclusions about this, as you know, rethinking, you know, their values in the past, uh, thinking, okay, you know, per, perhaps um, I misunderstood what the roots of this particular position were. I mean, there are some conservatives who have completely rejected the conservative movement. I mean, I, I mean, think Jennifer Rubin, I think Stuart Stevens, uh, Max Boot have completely rejected. Others, I think, are engaging in introspection and saying, OK, you know, some of those, you know, some of the, the elements of conservatism need to be updated or, or scrapped. But there still needs to be a counterpoint to uh, progressivism and to the left. I mean, it's, I mean there's, there's a range there, isn't there? Yes, I, I think there is a range, but it, it, it can't be... I think the problem is, is when we define ourselves in contraposition to something else, hmm. we, we put ourselves in relation to another idea. You know, we we're own the libs. We're never Trump. Yeah. Tell me what you're for. Like stand for what you're for, what you believe we should do and have others react to us. That's what I'm hungry for to see. I'm, I'm, there's a lot to react to these days. <laughs> I mean, you can if you're looking for something to react to and be and be be shocked by, there's no shortage. And and there's a, there's a place for that. I mean, it's there. You know, silence is not good when shocking things are happening. So it's it's important to do that, but it's important to not let that define you. That you you know we have right. to stand for something independent of those things. So I wrote about the New York Times uh, on politics newsletter. You know, talked about uh, CPAC and talked about your your conference. And I excerpted uh, some of what they said about your principal's first conference, uh, Heath, in my newsletter. And, and let me just read you a, a comment from one of the, shall we say, probably more left of center readers, Paul, who writes, until conservatives reckon with the idea that several of their first principles were fig leaves for segregationists and institutional racism, they're still not getting it. So how, how do you, you've heard this before. How do you how do you answer that? Yeah, I mean, I, I answer that by saying that I think the reader has a little bit of a point. I'm, I'm not I'm not saying yeah. that conservatism was flawed. The principle was not flawed. The application of the principle by certain elements of the movement was flawed, was fallible. But I mean, and this you see this with the founding. The founders didn't get it right, but the principles that they laid down ultimately Lincoln when he ended slavery, you know, 
he called on those principles and it, you know, it convinced the country to change. So, you know, infallible people, infallible movements still have good ideas that are worthy of championing. And that's the job of the leaders in the movement is to ensure that doesn't happen. Right. See, I think that there's a naive view that, that the world is divided between good ideas and bad ideas, when in fact, what you have are ideas that can be distorted or ideas that can be applied in, in very negative ways. So let me, the, the founding, I, I think, is a, is, a, is a great place to start. I mean, the founding based on some fundamental human values that we need to continue to celebrate. On the other hand, the founding was also uh, the product of men who owned slaves and sanctioned slavery. So can you disaggregate all of that? Can you say, okay, uh, the idea that government governs best when it governs locally, you know, the concept of subsidiarity, which is very well known in Catholic theology, can that be misused by people who go states' rights becomes my shield for enslaving people or keeping people segregated? Yes, but does that invalidate the higher principle? And, I, and I'm not, I don't think, you know, that I'm making unfair distinctions here. I mean, I do think, I'm not, I don't think that I'm just, you know, parsing all of this out. This is part of the work, right? To figure out which part of the principles do you continue to celebrate, even if you recognize that they can be misapplied. And by the way, this can happen on the left as well. You know, you can say, you know, we, we should, you know, strive for everyone to be equal. And you could say, well, okay, you know, does that mean that you're Fidel Castro? Well, no. I mean, I think it's important to make distinctions between Hubert Humphrey and Che Guevara. I mean, there are there are differences. They may share certain basic principles, but then they diverge at some point. And I think that the fact that they diverge at some point doesn't mean that you discredit all of their beliefs, um, you know, going back to the beginning of time. I'm sorry, I, I went on there for a bit. No, but uh, no, yeah. but you're right. I mean, if you think governing a country as large as the United States, as complex and, and diverse as the United States can be done successfully with categoricals and, and Twitter soundbites uh, and, and categorically rejecting ideas and not living and dealing and being comfortable with nuance, you got another thing coming, right? I mean, it's it can't be exactly as you said, that, that we can't differentiate, that we've lost the ability to see the worth in ideas even when they are misapplied because we're just shutting ourselves off from an entire toolkit of principles that have been shown to be effective in other instances. And, and look, you know, you're right. There are situations where things like local control lead to abuse. And that's why we have a Bill of Rights. That is why we have a federal constitution so that when there are minority things that we want to guarantee the rights of minorities uh, and say, look, you know, these rights are inviolable. Like, it doesn't matter what kind of majority that you have at the local level, these things they can't do. That's why we have a constitution. That's why we have key rights that, that you can't infringe. So I, I think among the things that conservatism, conservatives historically have, is, is really a blot, has been the, the record. Um, one, you know, race is, I think, one of the biggest blots on, uh, you know, the, the conservative record, getting, getting it wrong and, um, you know, perhaps embracing or aligning yourself with uh, some really deplorable folks. On the other hand, that does not mean that therefore we need to embrace the 1619 project or that we need to embrace critical race theory or that we need to accept kind of the racial essentialism of people on the left. This is what makes it so difficult because everything is so polarized to deny reality, I mean, to deny racism is to deny the history of racism. The reality of racism is just complete delusional, is delusional. 
um, and deeply immoral. On the other hand, um, it doesn't mean that you flip over and embrace the everything I don't like is racism and that every one of us should be judged um, you know, by our racial identity. And, and so you, you have a debate that is, is shaped by the extremes when I think it's sort of urgently necessary that we have the kind of dialogue that I think you're encouraging. I think that's right because because those are those are big issues, Charlie. I mean, those are those are those are big foundational issues uh, that really that don't really have easy answers. That are that are they're human. They're about you know who we are as people, and you know there 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 has to be a place for for nuance in those discussions, or we are going to tear each other apart, right? I mean that though. I mean. And, and it doesn't mean we have to back away from them. It doesn't mean, but it, but it means that we have to be, we have to commit to the principle and then we have to realize that, at, you know, at least for, for, for the people that show it, that they're coming at this in good faith, that, you know, they recognize the humanity of, of their fellow American and that, you know, let's reach an answer to these things together. And, and that's the spirit that I think we've lost. So who are these people that are coming to this? I'm, this is one of the things I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated to see because, uh, you, you know, you, you, have, you have attracted a group of people who uh, I think at one time, I mean, you tell me whether this is, this is correct, who had, you know, at one time thought of themselves as mainstream Republicans or conservatives who are completely disaffected from what's happening right now and still trying to figure out whether they are alone in all of this. I mean, I think the value of, of these conferences, you, you suddenly look around and go, hey, I, I thought I was the only person who thought this, who, who felt this. So give me a cross-section of who attends something like this weekend's conference. Yeah, I mean, it, it's really all over. I wouldn't say, I mean, I, I think you're right generally in terms of the alignment of folks, but I mean, it's still, it's kind of mixed. I think, you know, there's probably, I, I would say, 60 to 65, 70% of the people are exactly as you described, sort of former conservative movement people, people who might have once attended CPAC actually, and that were card-carrying members of the Republican Party and who are just absolutely disgusted with, with where things have gone. But then we've attracted another group of folks who, again, center independence, moderates, maybe they would describe themselves, maybe even center left, who are just also, I think, to your point about the CRT and the overreaction with 1619 Project, who are sort of tired of being told that they don't fit in on their side either and are looking for for, mm. for a home and a place to talk about uh, these ideas with people who just care about ideas, right? So that, you know, it, in terms of the political alignment of folks and, and their perspectives on things, that I think is the makeup. But in terms of background, I mean, we've got people coming... <laughs> I, that's what I'm shocked by, honestly. We got people who just got out of surgery. They're going on trains and planes to get here. You know, I think we've got people, last time I checked, from like 41 different states coming to this thing, like leaving their states, coming to this thing, um, which is really inspiring to me, seeing people to do that, to come and just talk about principles for two days and all different types of back. We'll have young people there. We have we have an older crowd um, and, and sort of all in between. So it's going to be a fun time. And I'm, I just I can't wait to get there. It is an impressive lineup. Uh, I'm just looking at your speakers page. Um, you, you'll, you'll open the event with Liz Cheney, close the event with Adam Kinzinger, which tells you a little bit about the book ending there. 
Brad Raffensperger, the Secretary of State of Georgia, Denver Riggleman, former congressman, good friend of the podcast. I see Stephen Richer, who is the truth teller from Maricopa County. He's been he's been the elections official who has been pushing back against the crazy ideas. Alexander Vinman. I mean, you've put together quite a uh, a collection of folks there. And as you mentioned, Officer Harry Dunn, the U.S. Uh, United States Capitol Police officer, who I think we've we've all seen, and and a bunch of us folks from the Bulwark. I mean, so this this is really, uh, on one level, it's kind of a high level uh, people who have staked out their own positions at great personal cost, and then you have just people who have been working in the trenches of this movement. So, Heath, what do you expect to come out of this, though? What what is the point of this get together? I mean, is it a group of people who is going to be aligning with Democrats? Are they looking for a third party? Are they working within the Republican Party? Is it not about electoral politics at all? Just give me, what is Heath Mayo's endgame? You know, it's it's a good question. And and I think the people coming to the summit, everyone has their own idea. I mean, I think that the, the value of this is that we're convening leaders. I mean, it, the thing that defines a principal's first person is that they are a leader. And it doesn't matter if they're in elected office or they are in their community. They are people exactly as you say, who take a stand at great personal cost to themselves. When their convictions come in tension with their personal advancement, their convictions went out. And so I think people have different ideas. Me personally, I want to do, I, I want to do a couple of things. I want to inspire people and give people a sense that, you know, all is not lost. Like there are people who care about these things and want to make a difference and mm-hmm. want things to go in a different direction. And I want people to see a room full of people, of energetic people. I mean, you see a lot of these people taking these stands, you see them in the floor of Congress or you see them on TV and it's hard to actually visualize. Like you, you ask yourself, well, does anybody really actually support them? Or, you know, is it, then you see big rallies with people like, Candace Owens saying crazy things from the stage. And you don't see that for people like Liz and Adam, but I fundamentally believe, I think that that is there. I think there is energy out there for what they are doing, for what they are saying, for the principles they're defending. And I want that visual to be captured. I think people are going to be surprised, as you said, to see just how many people do feel that way and, and that how more and more people are feeling that way. And look, new party, go back to the GOP. That's a big question right now. And I think it is an open question. It's still an open question. The party has to show that it can actually respond to these principles or the party's no good. And so I get that. I sympathize with that. But I think we still at this point have to be less about the partisan politics of it and more about the ideas because the ideas are what will attract people to our cause and it will change the status quo. We got to be about changing the layout of the land as opposed to trying to to win the very next election, because we will, you know, we'll never get there. We'll never get up the yeah, mountain yeah. if we try to start at the top. So um, for people sitting at home, though, how can they sort of track what's going on? Uh, Twitter handles? Yeah. Hashtag principles first. Our website is principlesfirst.us. I think mm-hmm. there's going to be significant coverage of the event. So I think it's going to be you're going to be able to find it here and there. We'll we'll. We'll kind of make it known on our Twitter account if a live stream does become available. I think that may end up being an option just because of the the number of networks that mm-hmm. might be covering this. So 
uh, we're going to try to get as many folks that are out there who couldn't make it, because I know there is a lot of folks that have expressed that. We're going to try to get them all involved as much as we can. But, you know, we're entirely volunteer <laughs> operation. I got a day job. Nobody, nobody in our group really does this for a living here. So it, we're, we're just we're flying by the seat of our pants in many respects. But in many respects, I think we've been able to do it because we do have that sort of blood, sweat, passion, energy that really kind of gets things done. So uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited. Heath, Heath Mayo, you are a very busy guy this weekend. Uh, thanks for uh, taking some time to talk with us and looking forward to seeing you and uh, seeing all the folks at the conference this weekend. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Charlie. And thank you all for listening to this weekend's Bulwark podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We will be back on Monday and we'll do this all over again. <laughs>